Hey, trivia fans! Looking for an exciting and unforgettable way to add some fun and friendly competition to your events or team-building sessions? Last Call Trivia has you covered. Our unique web-based app allows players to participate individually or as a team, making it easier than ever to bring people together, spark curiosity, create connections, and make lasting memories. Host your own trivia anytime with our new subscription and experience the best in interactive entertainment. Even remote attendees can play along. Check out lastcalltrivia.com forward slash shop for more information. Trivia Podcast. I'm your trivia host, James Flippin, and I'm so happy to have all of our listeners join in on our trivia team as our favorite part of Trivia Night is the discussion that these questions spark, the connections those conversations create, and the way our trivia players show their work, meaning they're going to talk through the thought process behind each of their answers as we play our podcast trivia game. And speaking of our trivia players, I am joined by the trivia team and our Instagram followers named them Pig Latinists. (laughs) (laughs) And this is the end of the parliament, so it's the last time we're going to be able to say Pig Latinist. But that's okay. We'll have something new and exciting for the team name next time. the last time we say (laughs) Pig Latinists. I'm sure it won't. Well, look, she's so old-fashioned, all her selfies are oil paintings. It's Kelly Ketko. (laughs) Can I just say that should be like a prerequisite for Instagram? Before anyone is allowed to post a selfie, they have to paint an oil painting selfie and post that first. That would save a lot of trouble in this social media world. Instagram is the new House of Holbein. Well, his mistakes have their own fan club. It's Omen Thomas Said. Wow, James, are you my dad? Because I feel like I'm about to disappoint you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, son. Uh, But that's okay. And he's the matador to the bull market. It's DJ Taylor. You know something, James? When I was younger, I hated facial hair, but then it grew on me. Oh, Oh, boy. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in today's podcast, we'll be challenging the Last Call Trivia team with questions that previously appeared in Last Call Trivia shows in bars and restaurants around the country. Our podcast show has two rounds of trivia, and there's three questions per round. There's also a bonus question sandwiched in between those two rounds, as well as a final question to close out the game. Beforehand, a quick reminder to our listening audience, wherever this podcast may be listened to, if you enjoyed today's show, do us a favor and leave us a five-star rating on your streaming service of choice. And if they allow for listener reviews, go ahead and drop one in there. You just might get mentioned on a future episode of this here Last Call Trivia podcast. If you'd like to learn more about all of Last Call Trivia's products and services, Go on over to lastcalltrivia.com and you'll find more ways there to get your trivia fix. Right now, round number one, I will read each question aloud and then the discussion will ensue amongst DJ Kelly and Omen. They get three minutes, 
three minutes. And when you hear me say last call, that means they only have 30 seconds left to both answer the question and they need to choose a point wager. In round one, their options are one point, three points, or six points. And it doesn't matter what order they use those wagers in, but they can only use each wager once. The categories for round number one, landmarks, animals, and history. Oh. oh. Yeah. Sp- speaking of, can I just note something for our listeners at home? They can't see us right now, so I think it's really important for people to know that at the moment, Omen is filling up his fountain pen from his inkwell. Well, I just I- think that bodes well for the history category. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> One runs out of ink at the most inconvenient times, Kelly. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. Yeah, and this is this is impressive. Omen's just upgraded from a quill and an inkwell. So I mean, I think I think Omen moving into at least the 18th century is pretty remarkable. Hey, when we started out the podcast, I was using a stick and a clay tablet. <laughs> <laughs> He's accelerating at a exponential rate in terms of his learning and process. But no, <laughs> I have to say that I really wish Kelly was just like making that up in terms of a theater of the mind <laughs> perspective, not. but that is right on brand for one Omen Thomas said. And landmarks is where we will go for round number one. This question, team, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, Ooh. what type of building was the Pharos of Alexandria? Yeah. It's one of my favorite subjects. By the way, do you know what the word Pharos means? Well, I think it's the first half of the word that it is, isn't it? Yeah, so it's the same root as the word Pharaoh. And it's also actually the same when it's translated out of Greek, which is pharos. Do you know what it is in Latin? Well, it doesn't start with a PH, does it? It sure does not. What does it start with? Is it like it starts luma? With an L. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be like lumens or luma, nope. luminati, lum. Luciferian. Lucifer. Lucifer. Yeah. Oh. I was going to say, yeah, Lucifer. So pharos means light bringer and Lucifer also means light bringer. They are the yeah. same word in different languages. Huh. Yeah, that's great. Interesting. Um, it currently lies at the bottom of the harbor around Alexandria because of an earthquake that destroyed it. I want to say somewhere in the 390s-ish. Oh, you know what? I'm surprised that somebody hasn't tried to rebuild it. Like, if it really did crumble in that spot. Like, in Arizona. Well, it fell into ship the water. It, exactly. Ship it, ship somebody, some millionaire needs to <laughs> ship it to America, rebuild it on the side of Highway 90, and charge go. $3 a pop. I the mean, biggest anybody out there can take Well, why don't we say what this type of building is? Okay. Are we Should three, we three, two, one? It? Oh, yeah. For six points? <laughs> oh, Yeah. So when the team is pretty confident without even having communicated so with each other verbally that they know the answer together, sometimes we'll count them in to do so in unison. And that's happening right now in three, two, one. Lighthouse. lighthouse. So, yeah, so it was a, a large lighthouse in the ancient world in the city named for Alexander the Great, Alexandria. And what's has it as one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Did you? what's that city currently? Or what part of the modern world does the ancient city of Alexandria lie? Egypt. Aha. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's I thought on, it was like northeast on the Red Sea. Or on the Mediterranean. I thought it was North Africa, northern Egypt. So but that I, makes sense. But I thought it was like at the entrance to the 
I'll stop what I think because I, I geography is not my thing. We had a Red Sea. We had a Red Sea Mediterranean. But I got up. wrong last time, so a I shouldn't up. be talking about what I think is on the Red Sea. But yeah, it's on the Mediterranean, and I'm ninety nine point nine nine percent sure it's a port city in Egypt. It still exists okay. today, naturally. Does the but Mediterranean it's, it's a port connect city. to the Red Sea through the Suez Canal? Oh, I guess I thought that the lighthouse was at that point of confluence where the Mediterranean led into a harbor or some other body of water that to me was like where it was the prong of the Red Sea. Because, you know, that's when you want to let people know, like, hey, I'm leaving this huge body of water and heading for like a smaller channel. But I think the Red Sea is on the other side of Egypt. I think in that day and age, just having a light that was visible for, by virtue of its height for any from, purpose for at all would be helpful to and a big claim to fame for a trading port like that so james call. james i think we should put six points the other six wonders of the world on lighthouse okay and we're gonna go landmarks one of the seven wonders of the ancient world what type of building was the pharos of alexandria you guys say for six points a lighthouse. The answer, a lighthouse. Yes. Nice. Huzzah. Yeah. And actually kind of funny that you guys would talk about it being reconstructed in the U.S. Not that that's happened, but the George Washington Masonic National Memorial located in Alexandria, Virginia, right near Washington, D.C., is fashioned after the ancient lighthouse. And oh. I did look it up for this. I think it was a little bit later than that, DJ, that it totally fell down. It was a series of earthquakes that I think started in like uh. 300 and maybe continued for like a few centuries after that. But that was ultimately what did it in. But okay, animals, where we go next. What animal, often seen floating on its back in the water, uses its chest as a table to crack open shellfish and enjoy its meals. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, Didn't yes. Didn't we have a question dealing with this we at did. least family of creatures? Because it's the family Muscadet. And I want to say it was just a few shows ago that we talked about this and the, oh. the relationship that these creatures have to, you know, ferrets and weasels. And we were talking about muscullets in general. I, one cool thing about these guys is, you know how you see them all the time with rocks? Mm. So they are known to have a favorite rock and a special rock that they keep for the majority of their life. And they tuck it into the secret pouch that's below their armpit so that they can store it there and return back to it to use it, you know, throughout their lives. I, I love the fact that they have like a favorite rock. Yeah. I love the fact I, that they have a pocket. I mean, I that's just, they, they that's have evolution. a secret pocket and a favorite rock. Like, <laughs> I think how we can you not love that? Three, two, one this, and then we can discuss more the various attributes and virtues of this, this, Muscadel animal. <laughs> Muscadel. Okay. By now you know the whole three, two, one rigmarole, and here we go. In three, two, one. Otters. Now I think I think That's that the, the question <laughs> specifically is talking about sea otters. I think that of the otter family, I think that those are the ones that that more display this behavior of using their chests as place to bash things open because river otters that we have here in this country or the giant river otters of South America, they aren't in the ocean. And so they can go to a rock and eat their fish there or smash open their shells there. But in the deep sea, the only place that a nice otter could have a crack at an abalone is on its chest. I think 
a lot of the pictures that we see, as you say, are of sea otters doing this, but river mm. otters also do use rocks. Oh, do they? So I think okay. otter in general would be fine. Sea otter is, you know, correct in that it's more specific, but definitely river otters also use rocks and tools to open things. The sea. If the is... judges deny us for not saying sea in front of otter, I'll tell them where they can stick their rock in their secret pouch. So I say we go otter for three points. <laughs> yeah. James, three abalones on otter and the sea is silent. <laughs> okay. Animals. What animal, often seen floating on its back in the water, uses its chest as a table that enjoys its meals? You guys say for three points. An otter. That is correct. Yeah. An otter is the right answer. We would have accepted sea otter or just otter, and you guys went with the latter, so it worked out for you. Otters, sea otters in particular, since we're talking about them, have notoriously high appetites uh, or i should say metabolisms really because they're so constantly in motion and yeah. in order for them to keep up with that they have to eat around a quarter of their weight in food on a daily basis so if you were going to compare oh, wow. that to a human if a human weighed 140 pounds that would be like eating 34 pounds of food every day <laughs> wow <laughs> and that's equal to around 74 six inch subs <laughs> Otherwise known in my household as a Saturday. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we go next to history. And this question to close out round number one. Team, what service announced 10 days to San Francisco in its newspaper ads when it opened in April 1860? Oh, my goodness. Is this my favorite means of transportation? Oh, I mean, it's one of two things and the two things are related. I, um, I was thinking in a totally different direction, but Kelly, I think that, yes, I think that you're thinking of the correct thing. Well, I'm thinking of two things and then we'll have to pick which well, one we're going with. One of them's wrong and it's the other one. That, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure if we can, if we can connect them or not. I mean, so the two things in question are Wells Fargo and the Pony Express. I think it's the Pony Express. DJ? You think it's the Pony Express? I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like Pony Express. Because, and I'll tell you why, it's the right time period. And the fact that it's to San Francisco is, I think, particularly important. It's to San Francisco. Wells Fargo, aren't they? They're from San Francisco. Well, so my question is, how are they related to the Pony Express? And did they run the Pony Express? No, I don't think they did. I think that the Pony Express was a, a completely separate thing. My understanding is that that was in the early days of the U.S. Postal Service. And the Pony Express was almost a third-party carrier that interfaced with the U.S. Postal Service because the Postal Service couldn't get across. Like, they could get out to the Midwest, but then past that, they couldn't really get to the, to the West Coast, except by going this long, circuitous route down around South America. And okay. so I think the Pony Express existed to bridge that gap. So what do you think Wells Fargo wagons transported back in the 1860s? All kinds of things. I think they were more ordered goods, whereas the Pony Express was more specifically mail, post. Yeah, that's kind of my sense, well, too. Okay. Kelly, you seem maybe a little convinced that it's something else. Well, I think that they're related and I'm not quite, I should, I should absolutely know this. Like this is like my life history, but I get things mixed up in my mind. So I think they're related. I can't remember how. Um, 
James, we're going to go with the Wells Pony Fargo Express Wagon. <laughs> so, okay, hold on. Do you guys remember The Music Man? Omen, were you not in The Music Man? I wasn't in The Music Man, ah! except a thousand times in my imagination. No, I've never done <laughs> I mean, there's a song ball. about the Wells Fargo Last wagon ball. coming to town. Yeah, but it has nothing to do with going to San Francisco, does it? it well, then. <laughs> James, I think we're so, saying the Pony Express. The Pony Express, okay. And the one point is what you guys have left here in round number one. So you're going to put one point on what service announced 10 days to San Francisco in its newspaper ads when it opened in April 1860. One point, you guys say the Pony Express. The answer, the Pony Express. Yes. Nice. I know, James, you have a fun fact, but I just want to say the reason that I thought it was that answer because the Wells Fargo wagon wasn't, they didn't advertise themselves on the basis of speed. They advertised themselves on the basis of, we will bring it to you eventually. That's why the excitement in the Music Man is so high because they're like, (gasps) Oh my gosh, the it's Wells finally Wagon. here. It's finally here. Whereas the Pony Express, they were advertising, we will make sure that your letter gets there in this amount of time. And unlike Wells Fargo, which obviously still exists to this day, the Pony Express was not a commercial success. It only existed, I think, for a handful of years wow. and then ultimately shut down. But And don't be so sure. I have a fun fact, by the way, because in this case, I just wanted to note that since... <laughs> I feel like it's kind of a bit of forgotten history, but we do have some TV buffs in our midst. And there was an ABC series in the late 80s, early 90s, I don't know if you guys remember, called The Young Riders. And it was centered on the Pony Express, and it included a young Josh Brolin as Wild Bill Hickok. It only had a couple of seasons. I don't think it was. I'm pretty sure I've seen one episode. And thank you, James. You just clicked. A slightly misaligned puzzle piece that has bothered me for years as to where it was that I knew Josh Brolin from when he was much, much younger. And wow. that is the show. Thank you. Interesting. Yep. Not the Goonies. Not the Goonies. Not the Goonies. Yeah. I knew he was in the Goonies, recognized him in the Goonies. I remembered him as a cowboy. Never bothered yeah. to IMDb it because it's just one of those things. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to look that up sometime and then forget about it. But thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now it's time for today's bonus question. And the rules for the bonus question are a bit different. Here's how we do it. The answer will be in the form of a number, and the players may not know the exact answer to the bonus question. That's okay. The idea is for them to give their best guess. At live Last Call Trivia shows, the top 50% of teams that get the closest to the exact answer win one bonus point. Since our trivia team isn't playing against anyone else today, the writing team set a predetermined range that their answer must fall between for them to get the point for the bonus question. All right, so bonus question. The Pony Express was a financial failure. For how many days was it operational? Hmm. Mm. Okay, so Mm -hmm. I guess the hint that James gave was that it was only operational for a few years. Yeah. And that tracks with my recollection. Because I think that soon after that, the Transcontinental Railroad was finished. Yeah, I was going to say, when did they put the golden stake in it? Promontory Point Um, or whatever it was in Utah. Ulysses S. Grant was president at the time, so it was probably around 1867 or 1868. Okay, so that would be in eight years' time, there's going to be a railroad that would presumably take mail. But if it was a financial failure, it would have failed more quickly than eight years. 
Well, I mean, not um, necessarily because not it could have failed but... because it was overtaken by the, you know, ease and speed of the of the railroad. But regardless, I think we're looking at like under eight years here. Oh, yeah. Okay. We said four years, that'd be like 1,400 days. Yes. So I would have put it at seven years if James hadn't said a few. A few to me sounds like fewer than seven. Same. I, don't, I, don't go off my, I'm just saying, you know, I don't remember exactly what I read or saw. I just remembered it was a financial failure. I mean, when I use the term few, I, I don't really know uh-huh. you, what you exactly ta- you, I You read. keep digging, James. The backpedaling makes me feel like we're on the right track. Right, I, <laughs> Do with it what you will. I think four years sounds good to me. I could see it being shorter than that or longer than that, but I think that that's a great starting point. Okay, so if it were four years exactly, that would be 1,461 days, if I did the math right. That sounds right. 1,500 for an even number? Yeah. What's your even Kelly number? is giving us the most sphinx-like look that I've ever seen. What, what was your even number? I'm sorry. 1,500. One, five, zero, zero. Okay. I mean, I'm fine with that. Not because it's an even number, which I don't think is a reason to choose it or not choose it. But because if I was going to skew, I would skew up toward seven. So that gives me an extra 39 days and I'll take them. There you go. Okay. The last 39 days of the Pony Express starring Kelly Kitko. (laughs) That is a fantastic idea. Hey, I only want 10% of the profits. And she's already got the calico skirt. So, I mean, it's like... It's going to be as profitable a movie as the Pony Express was in business. (laughs) Well, I think we have our number. And we're betting a point, James. We're going to go with 1,500 days. One, five, zero, zero days. All right. A financial failure. For how many days was the Pony Express operational? The team says... 1500 the answer 571 wow only a Mm -hmm. little over a year yeah and we were looking for anywhere from 371 to 771 that's shocking no bonus i tried to warn you not to take my use of few literally but. Yeah, but if anything, I would have I would have aired up, not down. I mean, I, I'm shocked that it's so that it's such a short period of time. To be honest with you, well, I mean, the mm-hmm. the, the proposition is we will pay. I mean, the the actual thing that they were doing was racing at t- top speeds across these very dangerous landscapes in a relay, burning out horse after horse after horse, and they were charging you twenty five cents with a stamp to do that. And so I think that it didn't quite work out. Well, moving on to round number two, the questions in the second round will be themed to a specific topic. And today's theme is libraries. Oh, oh. interesting. Yes. yes. Shh. shh. Uh, in this round, the point wager options have updated to two, five, or seven points. And just like the first round, the team can only use each wager once per round. They do have higher options to work with now, and these categories. Children's books, hmm. universities, hmm. and literature. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Children's books, universities, literature. So children's books, how we start things off, round number two. 
published by Bantam Books from 1985 to 1986. The fun to read library was a series of children's books that feature characters from what media company? Whoa. Oh! Wait a minute. <laughs> that Can was a, a stroke of lightning and then it, it went away? I don't remember these at all, but I'm thinking that if it is a quote-unquote media company that would incorporate characters into a book series... It would be something like, for example, Disney. That was my thought. So Disney did and does still have a very large book publishing arm. And I, in fact, had a lot of Disney anthology books when I was a kid. A series of hardbound books that came with white covers that had like a collection of stories um, from their movie universes um, in them. Peter Pan and Pinocchio and, and the like. But my feeling with the Bantam connection, because I'm pretty sure that I had some of these, is not Disney. It's the children's television workshop from which we get Sesame Street. And the era, the 85-86, makes me think it's yeah. that. Because it would have been peak Sesame Street popularity. So it's funny because when I started like writing down other ideas, the first thing that came to my head was, I was like, PBS, what is part of PBS? Sesame Street, and that would make sense from a character perspective, and that they might not like otherwise have a license. Whereas Disney, with its multiple movies and you know a million characters, it makes sense for them to have kind of a separate publishing arm. But Sesame Street or Children's Television Workshop, it makes sense to me for that reason as well as the time frame. Well, that's all true, and I think you all might be right with it being Sesame Street. I do want to point out that Disney wasn't always the the behemoth and financial relative financial success that it is now. Um, it, that's it went, true. It went through periods of of almost uh, disillusion. Yes, yes and but they still could have had at that point in time every all, all of the characters from earlier things. I mean, I'm not even talking about like Lion King and stuff. I'm talking about the Rascal. earlier things, like. You know, Sleeping yeah, Beauty and Cinderella I'm not, and blah, blah, blah. I'm not so they've published books going back to the 1950s. I mean, my, my mom had some collection I'm of Disney books that were like very, very old. Certainly not suggesting that they didn't have a lot of material to pull from, just that they may have used a one-off publisher like this. But I think that in all, you're probably right that it's Sesame Street. Do we want to put two points on it and hedge our bet? Yes. And is right. the answer two... Sesame Street or Children's Television Workshop? Children's Television Workshop is the media company. Okay, so two points. Children's books. Published by Bantam Books from 1985 to 1986, the Fun to Read Library was a series of children's books that featured characters from what media company? You guys say the Children's Television Library. Workshop. You guys say the Children's Television Workshop. The answer? Walt Disney. Ha! Huh. Hmm. Good thing we listened to Omen and not DJ on that one. Yeah, well... (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Worth noting, by the way, that as of 2024, the original Mickey Mouse, Steamboat Willie, is in the public domain. Yes, that's true. I actually vaguely... It's so vague that I didn't even want to mention it, but I do have a very, very vague memory of the fun to read logo being somehow associated with Disney, and I, I don't... But it was just more of a feeling than even a, a real memory. 
Let me Such a relief question. that we listened to you, Omen. I'm really glad that we we went ahead with Omen's answer, as everybody heard. We said Disney, got the mm-hmm. two points. Great job, team. <laughs> Win all around. And that's DJ's happy thought. <laughs> James, since you've seen this book series as part of your research, does it have Dumbo as like the the mascot for it? I don't recall that in particular. I think it's got like Mickey ears or whatever. And it's, you know, okay. uh, got some of your main characters that you'd expect, but they're not necessarily doing like traditional scenarios it might be like you know mickey mouse goes to the bank or something like that i was just i was thinking mickey mouse goes to the bank i was just thinking about if if i had a vague memory of this and i seem to remember dumbo as some sort of mascot for it may be we'll have to check that out in in the post show i'll I'll list to you some of the titles uh contained in that fun to read library mickey gets a certificate of deposit (laughs) <laughs> Mickey uses the Pony Express and fails. That would be good. That'd be a good short. <laughs> All right. So universities where we land. And this question team, George H.W. Bush's presidential library is located on the campus of what Texas university? <laughs> so I... I thought this was going in a different direction and I thought it was going to be like, what state? So I just wrote down Texas and was really satisfied with myself until the whole question was read. Anyway, okay, well, there's a couple of choices here, I think. Do we have any idea where George H.W. Bush attended, who's, by the way, the father of George W. Bush? Did Do we know where he attended college? Yeah, he, I'm pretty sure he went to Yale. That's not uh, because Texas. so so did George W. George H. W. was not from Texas. He was from Connecticut. He moved to Texas. Oh, and- logical choices for Texas are Texas A and M. There's Rice University, which I think that's a lesser a lesser choice, just because it you know like they have their own money. They don't need a presidential library. So Texas A and M is the one that stands out to me. What other choices can we think of? Those were both my first thoughts. Rice and Texas A and M were my first thoughts. Omen? I don't know many colleges in Texas, but I did think of uh, Texas A&W. <laughs> university of Houston's another possibility if such a university exists, because Houston was his adopted home. I just want to ask Omen, is, is your aforementioned Texas A&W University where they learn to make root beer? That's right. Okay. Where, what, does a, what does A&M meet stand for? Do we know? Yeah. Uh, agriculture and I either mechanic was- or machinery. Oh my mining. gosh, I totally thought M was Mining, Methodist. thank you. What? No, 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 it's what? agriculture and mining. Yeah, it's their. Te- <laughs> it's the technical university. So it's the one where you would go if you were learning the, oh. the tech skills. Think about like the way that universities yeah. used to be. Okay, so that's, I'm yeah. thinking of Southern Methodist University. That's where the M comes in. SNM. University. Also different skills taught there, Omen. So is there, is are we there going a, with... <laughs> well, I'm just going to ask... Call. Okay, let's, let's go with it. So Texas A&M, is that what we got? Yeah. For five points. Okay, lots of universities in Texas. We're going to go George H.W. Bush's Presidential Library. Located on the campus of what Texas University for five points, the team says Texas A&M, the Aggies. The answer? Texas A&M. Oh, nice. Well done. Yep. Located in College Station, Texas. And we talked about live dog mascots, by the way, in previous episodes. One of them being at Yale University, where they have a bulldog 
as their mascot. But did you know that Texas A&M has a real-life dog mascot? A rough collie, Reville, that's been around since 1931. And also, most people don't know that Texas A&M is actually the oldest, highest education institution in Texas, founded in 1876. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to spot you right there and move on to literature. Ray Bradbury wrote the first draft of what published novel on a coin-operated typewriter in the basement of the UCLA library? Wow. Nice. That's pretty cool. So Ray Bradbury, famously, we mostly know him as the creator of Scientology, correct? No, that's no. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> Wow. Swing and a miss let's, there, Captain. Let's please not confuse Ray Bradbury with L. Ron Hubbard. Were they related, yeah. maybe? Point one. No. Wow. So Ray Bradbury wrote a very famous novel, and I'm certain that this is the one. And I, yeah. I just want to give a shout out to my son, who recently read this in school, and we had a, a really robust conversation about it. So assuming this is the novel, buddy, I'm pretty stoked to be able to to celebrate this with you. So I have an idea as to what the novel is, and it's in fact not my favorite Ray Bradbury story, but I would say the famous novel that people talk about is The Martian Chronicles. No? For Ray Bradbury? Absolutely not. Wait, did he write The Martian Chronicles? <laughs> he wrote Fahrenheit 451. I thought that was Kurt Vonnegut. He wrote Slaughterhouse-Five. <laughs> wow, Kelly, <laughs> you're killing me here. No, the Mar the Martian Chronicles. If you're if you're talking about like the the Man from Mars, are you thinking of uh, Robert Heinlein? I'm thinking of a book called The Martian Chronicles. Oh, the one that was turned into the film. Okay, so you're saying it's Fahrenheit 451. It, yeah, Ray Bradbury wrote Fahrenheit 451, which not for nothing is a really impressive allegory that has a lot of applicability to today. You know, the insistence of the populace in in his story. Because of the influence of the television, which at the time that Ray Bradbury wrote it was new, nascent technology. But he envisioned one in every room, basically everybody constantly watching this seven-inch screen that was piping propaganda at them. And they insisted that the firemen in the book burn books. And Fahrenheit 451, that's the temperature at which paper combusts. And that's, that's the meaning okay. of the title. Since Imagine... I'm getting Ray Bradbury and Kurt Vonnegut confused, can we clarify Kurt Vonnegut? is the one who wrote The Handicapper General. He wrote Slaughterhouse-Five. I'm not actually familiar with the, rest, the majority of the rest of his work. Okay, my favorite story that I think is by Kurt Vonnegut is The Handicapper General. That but, sounds right, but I'm not, I wasn't a fan. I didn't like Slaughterhouse-Five, so I didn't d dive into more of Vonnegut's reading. Right. Thank goodness that Ray Bradbury didn't know about podcasts. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, thank goodness he didn't know about Scientology. Well, that um, too, I'm sure... I'm, I'm sure he did in the end. He and uh, L. Ron Hubbard were contemporaries. Even James, were I different. think we should put seven food pills on Fahrenheit 451. All right, going to go ahead and put in Fahrenheit 451. Ray Bradbury wrote the first draft of what published novel on a coin-operated typewriter in the basement of the UCLA library. For seven points, Fahrenheit 451... That is correct. Yes. Huzzah. Very nicely done. And DJ, it's appropriate that you were so into this particular question as apparently there's a video game adaptation oh, of boy. Fahrenheit 451. If you want to check that out, it was written by Bradbury. You can find it if you can track down a copy of it. It's the 1984 video game Bradbury developed 
You'll also need to find an old computer to play it on, obviously. But it's a direct continuation of the storyline in which you play as Guy Montag, former fireman, now seeking to make contact with the underground resistance, working to save books. It's an interactive text adventure with some graphics, and the game relies on quotes from famous written works that you need to collect and pass on to the resistance members to memorize them for posterity. Plus, as DJ also no doubt knows, the novel inspired the internet code for censorship. Because a 404 error means page not found. If you ever hit a 451 error, that means the material has been censored by the government in some way. Hmm. Oh. Yeah. Huh. All right. Our final question of the game now. This is a multi-part question. It's also the only question that our team can lose points on. The trivia team can decide to wager either five points or zero points on this final question, but they have to get every portion of the final correct in order to earn points. And if they miss any portion of the final, they'll lose what they wager. Since it's a multi-part question, I'll give the team five minutes to decide on their answer. Beforehand, let's give the team an update on where their score currently stands to help them decide whether or not they want to wager those five points. Through the first nine episodes of Parliament Number 7, so this is the Final episode of Parliament Number 7, the team has an average score of 24.4 points. And like I said, this is the last episode of this Parliament. I've got some pretty exciting news for the team here. Going into this game, you've already surpassed your total number of points from the previous Parliament. So you're guaranteed to beat your previous average. And as long as you finish this game with eight or more total points, which... (laughs) So far, so good. (laughs) You're going to have this be your best scoring parliament to date. So pretty impressive stuff here in parliament number seven. One to remember. Lucky number seven, as a matter of fact. So right now you have 22 out of a total possible 30 points. So just something to keep in mind here as you consider whether or not you want to wager. And this is the question you're going to deal with. I need you to name the country given the demonym of their people. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. 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 Need you to name the country given the demonym of their people. So, number one, Turks. Okay. Good way to start out. Turks. Where are they from? Okay. Number two, let's. L-E-T-T-S. Let's. Number three, Danes. Okay. Number four, Poles. Poles is number four. And then number five, Kiwis. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I've got all but one of these for sure. I think we all don't have the same one. <laughs> Probably not. Okay, well, let's start at the top. Turks are from Turkey. Yes. Are we skipping number two because that's the hard one? <laughs> yeah. I sure. Think, I think so. Okay. So Danes. There ain't nothing like a Dane. Nothing in the world. Is that from Music Man? No, man? That's from South Pacific. Oh, okay. Except it's, it's Dame, not Dane. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. So <laughs> where where are they from? They're aren't they I just blanked on it. Don't tell um, don't tell them. No one tell them. This is great. 
I'm, I, your stupid song completely <laughs> borked my head, Omen. The now tragedy, I have South Pacific in think, my head. Think of Famous Danes, DJ. Tragedy. Oh, of, yes. Th- tra- tragedy of Hamlet, Denmark. Prince of Denmark. There Denmark. There we go. Polls. I'm. I didn't I'm, come here to be personally attacked. By the way. Oh, um, you didn't say Polak. You said Pol. Okay, then I feel better. Oh wait, are you also? Yeah, I'm Polish. Oh. Yeah, I'm half Polish, half Czechoslovakian. All right, well, I'm, we don't... I'm half Polish, half Irish. Talk about per, our personal lives. I oh, think po- okay. Poles Poland. are from Poland. Yes. And these are... Not- uh, quick shout out to my dear friend Craig, who is one of these. Someone from, from New, New Zealand. Zealand? Okay. Yeah. So back Name? to let's. Yeah. There's a country that I wrote down that I think makes sense, but I think we can discuss and see what else we've got. So I thought of Latvia first. No, they're called Latvians. I have a my friend's wife oh. is Latvian. Okay, so what else do we have? People from Lesotho. That starts with L E T. That that's actually not a bad guess. Oh no, it doesn't start with L E T. It starts it with L E S. What about Liechtenstein? Because I've never known what to call Liechtensteiners. Liechtensteiners. I don't. Well, it could be Let's. I like it. I like Liechtenstein. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's name some other things just to be sure. What What else could it be, Kelly? Well, I'm not sure, but there's okay. So other things that begin with L. So there's Lithuania. Those are Lithuanians. Le- <laughs> How about something that maybe doesn't start with an L, like uh, people from the Aleutian Islands? A L E U T. They are Lutes. Yeah. Okay. Is it, could it be one of the Nordic countries? It's, it's uh, let's see, Finns, the Swedish, the Norwegians. Okay, no, never mind. The Danes, we already have them. Okay, so L. Oh, how about people from? There's people from Laos. That's an L. Um, Laotian. Laotian. That's a that's a joke on King of the Hill. What ocean? No, we're Laotian. It's a landlocked country. Okay, let's think about countries in Africa, maybe that start with an L. Lagos? Liberia. Oh. Okay. Lagos. L-A-G-O-S? Yeah. How do you spell I don't see how you get let from Lagos. Well, it could be. Lagosian. I mean, there are plenty of, like, Dane and Denmark. It, you know, it has the same root letter, but then it comes from a different language than the, than the language mm. the country is pronounced in, uh, is, yeah, is, is said in. Are there any of the former, like, Soviet socialist republics that are L's? Um, I like Liechtenstein. Okay, there's Luxembourg that also has an L. Ooh, Luxembourgians. Luxembourgians? Oh. Uh-huh. That doesn't sound right. I've heard Laskal. it. Doesn't mean that it's Laskal. right, but I've heard it. Okay, so we have Liechtenstein and we have Lagos. I, I think of those two, probably uh, Liechtenstein makes more sense. Okay. But I, I am very curious what you call someone from Lagos. Well, he said it was a Lagosian. That was the whole thing we just had to li- sit through him singing it could be, about. No, it could that's be. Laotian. Actually, I think it's called a single brick of Legos. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got we've got five then with Liechtenstein being the the wild card. Yeah. So I think we should bet the points, and here's why. It sounds, from what I remember James saying, that no matter what we do at this point, we'll yeah. still have our best score ever. Yeah, no, it's great. And... We're sure about four, so it's really just the fifth that's in question. James, okay. we're going to bet the five, and we're going to go with Turks from Turkey, Let's from Liechtenstein, Danes from Denmark, Poles from Poland, and Kiwis from New Zealand, named after the bird, not the fruit. And you're going to wager the five points. Oh, yes. Okay. 
All right, so as we often do when we get to situations like this, we'll leave the one in question <laughs> to the very end just for the sake of drama. So wagering the five points, countries, name that country given the demonym of their people. Turks from Turkey, of course that is correct. The Danes of Denmark, yes, that is correct. The Poles from Poland, yep, absolutely true. And the Kiwis from New Zealand, yes. So four up, four down. That number two spot that we glossed over real quickly, the Let's. Let's find out where they're from, shall we? Well, unfortunately, you guys said it at one point. It's not Liechtenstein. So you're going to lose the five points Dang. here. But the answer, Latvia. I'm sorry, James, did you just say that it's really? the first thing I said and wrote on my piece of paper and circled and DJ said that it was wrong and told me it was Latvians? Is it that one that's correct? I know. I said it was Latvian, Latvians because I, oh. I, I oh, know Oh, right. Some. You're the one with the Latvian friend. I had a I had a, a mid-century giant nude from what? from Latvia, a painting, Wait, Kelly. What? Oh, <laughs> I thought you were talking about your friend. <laughs> I love that Kelly was like so prepared to come after me, though. My goodness, that was seemed, that was vitriolic. Most likely, <laughs> I'm hurt. I am hurt over here, friends. Well, we're oh. finishing this last Parliament, and DJ is in pain. <laughs> well, apparently, I have some exciting updates for my friend. Yeah. Well, our Team Pig Latinists had a final score today of 17 out of a total possible 30 points. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning into the show. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share today's episode. If you're looking for more trivia fun, head over to lastcalltrivia.com and you can check out our live shows, private events, trivia card game, and more. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Last Call Trivia Podcast. Will our team members listen to each other in the next parliament? <laughs> Until then, stay curious. I, I actually, I want to talk about L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, who gosh. was the author? I, I live in Los Angeles. Why do I have to hear any more about this man? Well, you you don't have to listen, but I will. I I, I read one of his novels when I was a teenager, and it, I think it was Battlefield Earth, and I really liked it. I mean, was it a good novel? No, it was turgid and salacious, and obviously hitting at kind of the lowest common denominator of male fantasy. But it was really fun. And one of the things that it had in it, it's about a post-apocalyptic world. Humanity is rising up against its alien oppressors. And there's a machine in it that the aliens use to teach the humans how to repair their tech, whatever. But it basically, you lock it into either side of your skull and it blasts information into your brain at a very high rate. But I always thought it was such a, an easy thing to desire, the ability to load your brain with information in a very short amount of time, like learn to play the piano expertly in five minutes by blasting the information into your brain. I don't know. I, that, that always just stuck with me. Something to add to the George H.W. Bush note. DJ, I'm sure you'll remember the Simpsons episode when he moved in as the Simpsons neighbor. And one yes. of the things I love is that at one point he's getting frustrated with Homer and he says, I'm going to show you a little something we learned in the CIA. And he pulled a garrot wire out of his watch. <laughs> yes. And then later he gets frustrated with, with Bart 
I think Bart might have worn his presidential pajamas or something like that. And he was like, I'm president now. And he says, no, 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 you're not. Bar. And the best. It's just hilarious the way he calls for bar. I always yeah. love that part of the Absolutely. episode. Um, so anyway, that's a reference to Simpsons. And then Kelly paying off your question about the titles of the fun to read library. There was the logo is definitely Mickey in a little circle, but there was a title that featured Dumbo. It was Dumbo at bat. And it looks like he's playing baseball. Yeah, it looks really cute. He's playing baseball with, is it Tigger? No, a clown of some kind. There's also Pinocchio's (laughs) Promise, Goofy's Big Race, The Ugly Stepsisters, Wendy's Adventure in Neverland. Oh, interesting. They kind of use some like tertiary characters to an extent. Mickey finds a kitten, Wise Grandma Duck, Hiawatha's Kind Heart, Ferdinand and the Bullies. Uh, who's Ferdinand? Ferdinand is a bull. Ferdinand's a bull, yeah. Oh. Huh, okay, I don't know that. And then Scrooge and the Magic Fish. So. <laughs> I don't know about that. And hey, Kelly, kids, you, right. you want to see my magic fish? <laughs> Ray Bradbury did write the Martian Chronicles. Well, at least there's that. Yeah. Um, my favorite Ray Bradbury story, is it spoiling it for anybody? If I say I, what it's about? No, I mean, I'm gonna... I, I think at this point it's been out for more than a year. <laughs> okay. So I think it's called something along the lines of The Only Day of Sunshine. Do you know that one? Nope. So the plot is that, I don't know if it's Earth or another planet or whatever has happened so far in the future, that everyone lives in darkness and it's only like once every however many years, but it equates to like once in a lifetime, the sun actually comes out. It's kind of like the reverse of an eclipse, I guess. And everyone, you know, obviously it's like living for this moment. And these kids are in school and something happens. And for whatever reason, this little kid gets put in a closet, either for punishment or as bullying from his friends. And it happens to be the afternoon, the only time during their lifetime that the sun is going to come out and all the kids run outside to enjoy it. And the one little kid gets left in the closet and doesn't see it. it, It's called All Summer in a Day. Yes, that's it! Yeah. Yes. Published in 1954 in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Yeah, it's... I would recommend that. It's a short story. I like short stories. All right, well, that'll do it for this particular episode of the Last Call Trivia Podcast. Please remember to like, (laughs) subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Remember, you're always a welcome part of the team at the Last Call Trivia Podcast. That was a good one. I felt that. I felt the energy on that one. Yeah, until we got to the lot at the end.